Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jordan, and it is so good to see all of you here on uh, this really beautiful Sunday morning. And for those of you that are those of you that are joining us online, if I can get my words out, uh, we're really thankful that you can be with us as well. We just love the fact that we have the technology to be able to do this. Um, so praise God for that. And, uh, and I also just wanted to take a little bit of time, uh, because this isn't uh, kind of an, an everyday Sunday. Uh, this is a part of a Memorial Day weekend, and I just wanted to take a little bit of time and just to say uh, thank you to all of those uh, that have served in uh, the military in some way. Uh, in first service, we actually had uh, George, who some of you may know, who's been a part of our church family. He came all decked out in his, his Navy uniform, and it was great to see him and, uh, and to be able to honor him a little bit. But I know there, there are likely others that are in the audience as well, um, and, or, or if you're at home. And if you've served in some way, we just want to say thank you so much um, and recognize that, you know, Memorial Day weekend and Memorial Day itself is, is really us remembering those who paid the ultimate price um, and gave their lives for the freedom that we get to enjoy in this country. And part of that freedom is what we are doing here in this room. Uh, we live in a country where we can gather together and worship openly uh, without fear, and, uh, and that is part of what we kind of celebrate as well within that. So just wanted to take a little bit of time to do that. Um, and so, so glad that all of you are here as well. Um, and like I said at the top, my name is Jordan, and I have the privilege of being on staff here and, uh, and bringing God's Word to you this morning. Uh, we, are, we are in week 10 of our, uh, of our sermon series through the book of John, and uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible with you or if you've got your phone handy, however you're interacting with God's Word, um, it has the power to change your life. So whether that is through a screen or through uh, the, 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 the physical paper copy that we've got, uh, there's also some on the back table. If you don't have one and you want one, you grab one from there. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4. So as you're making your way to John chapter 4, um, I wanted to uh, just kind of get you guys thinking along a certain line. So I've got a question for you, and, uh, and the question is this. I want you to think of a time when you either heard or saw something seemingly for the very first time. Sure, it was something that you were familiar with, something that you knew, but there was something that shifted and changed, and now that thing that was familiar to you, you're suddenly seeing it in a new light that changes things. Um, and as I spent some time kind of thinking about that question uh, over the course of this week, uh, there was a few different things that came to my mind. Um, but the, the one that mostly stood out uh, likely had to do with the fact that my wife, Michaela, and I um, are celebrating 13 years of marriage uh, tomorrow, actually, on the 31st of May. And so as I was thinking of of, you know, something that I had seen for kind of seemingly the first time, Michaela was, was one of those things that came to my mind. And the reason for that is because I met Michaela back in the fall of 2002, and, uh, and we ended up going kind of to the same small Bible college together. That's where we first met. But it wasn't until uh, March 27, 2005, which happens to be her birthday, and was also Easter Sunday in 2005, that I suddenly saw Michaela in a different light. 
And I had known Michaela for years already at this point, right, since 2002. I had known that she was somebody that was really adventurous. She loved road trips. She loved traveling. That was just a, a really important part uh, and something that I loved about her and something that we could share. Uh, I knew that she was uh, very intelligent. She asked really good questions. Um, the times where we would have discussions, we would, we would get into different things and, or with other friends or whether it was a class or Bible, whatever it was, she, was, she asked really, really good questions. Uh, she has, a, she, she, she has and, and thankfully still has, um, a, a wonderful joy for life. Like She doesn't take herself too seriously, which is something that I really uh, learned from her because I unfortunately do that myself on uh, too much. Uh, so she doesn't take herself too serious. She's got a, she's got a great sense of humor, and, uh, and she's also just absolutely beautiful, right? And so I knew all of these things about Michaela, but March 27, 2005, a group of us of friends had come down to Portland with her. We were staying at her house, uh, uh, the house that her parents still live in now, and I can remember walking up the steps that morning as we were about to go to church, and seeing Michaela, she was standing in a big, kind of big picture window that they have there in their dining room area, and she was looking at Mount Hood, and she was wearing a brown dress accented with uh, kind of some blue teal, and I can, I can picture it in my mind, and it was at that moment that something shifted, and I saw her in a new way, and I knew then and there that if I didn't get to know her, like really get to know her, then I would be missing out on something. I would regret that for the rest of my life. So, why do I share that story? I asked, I asked Mikhail if I could share that story, and she said it was okay. All right, so just to put your mind at ease first, some of you ladies out there might be thinking, oh no, he's going to be in trouble. But no, I asked, I asked Mikhail, she said it was okay, um, and, uh, and she was here during first service, so she actually got to hear it um, and everything. But the reason I share that story isn't just because it's a personal story of mine or, or anything like that, but because the, at the heart of it is, is this, this experience of having your vision shifted in some way, and that experience is at the heart of the passage that we're going to be looking at as well, the shifting of a, of a perspective in that way. So uh, let's dive into our passage together. Uh, we are going to be, as I said, John chapter 4. We're going to be finishing off the chapter today, so we're starting in verse 43. It says this, After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet had, has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. All right, so let's get a little bit of context. If you, if you have been at Eastridge for a while, then you know kind of where we're at. If this, is, if this is new to you or if this is your first Sunday, I'll give a little bit of, back, a little bit of context here. Um, Jesus and his disciples have left Jerusalem at an earlier time. Um, they've been making their way back to Jesus' hometown, which is uh, we're just kind of home area, which is the area of Galilee. And on the way, he connects with a Samaritan woman by a well, talks with her, has this incredible conversation, and through that, Jesus ends up, along with his disciples, staying in, uh, the, the name of the town is Sikar. It's a Samaritan town. He ends up staying in, in this town for two days 
while there is just basically a revival that starts happening around him. As, as this woman has had this experience with Jesus, as she's talked with him, and he has revealed some things to her as far as kind of who he is, and it just, it just takes off. The people, these, the, the Samaritans come out of the town. And so one thing that is really important to note here is that I am certain the disciples were extremely uncomfortable hanging out in this town because Jews and Samaritans did not mix together. There was hostility between them. There was violence in their past that had happened between them. They did not like each other at all. And the fact that Jesus and his disciples stay there speaks volumes to kind of the way that Jesus reacts to what we would view as the other, the foreigner, the one that we don't connect with, right? So there's some some important lessons that we learn there. But now we're back in Jesus' hometown area of Galilee, and we get verse 44. It's kind of a a bit of a, a tricky verse, which says, right, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now this, John isn't the only gospel that kind of highlights this. All the other Gospels have a specific line where Jesus delivers this. And of course, it's when he's in his hometown. So we got to look at that a little bit and grapple with it. And, and the reason is, is because you contrast with the way that the Samaritans react that don't know Jesus, and then you look at the way that, his, that the people that know him react to him, and you've got this community that begins to be transformed right? The Samaritan community. And then on the other side, you've got the Galileans. And is there transformation happening there? Uh, we'll start to see it in little bits of trickles here and there, but there isn't the kind of response. What, 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 do they, what do they know Jesus as? If you look at verse 45, right? When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen what? They'd seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. So they had a category for Jesus. They, they saw him as like, hey, this is the guy that does signs and wonders, right? Oh, man. This is the guy that can kind of, this is our hometown hero. He's back. He's kind of putting us back on the map here. And, uh, and this is who he is, right? But what they're fixated on is what he has done as far as these signs and wonders, right? It, it, and we see that start to draw itself out a little bit more as we continue on in the passage. Um, as I was grappling with this text, and as I was thinking about it, it actually really reminded me of a danger that we have in the church. Um, when, we, when we grow up in the church, and Jesus begins to be something that is very familiar, and then kind of moves to this kind of like, you know, common and mundane and then at times almost boring, right? Oh, I've heard that story already. Oh, I, I, yeah, I know that, right? And so there's this danger that happens where, where there's an over-sense of familiarity. Um, and, and that familiarity can sometimes bring a certain level of unbelief along with it, which is something that we as a church need to, to grapple with and wrestle with and recognize is that something that's going on in my life, right, as we grapple with those things? Um, and the challenge of seeing Jesus as he truly is, right? And so 
One of the main, the main question that we're going to kind of be exploring today is this question right here, which says, how does true belief in Jesus grow? We got this picture of it with the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan town. There's a true belief that started to bubble up and grow there. And now we're looking at Jesus' hometown, and we'll start to kind of draw that out from here. All right. So, Let's, let's keep reading in our passage, verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. So what do we have? It touches again at the beginning of that section. It talks about Cana again. This is, this is the, where Jesus had done his first sign of changing water into wine. It points that out. So we have a royal official that gets introduced into our story, into the passage. And this guy's from the area, so he knows Jesus. He knows Jesus as a, somebody that can do things that I can't explain, and I need somebody to do something that I can't explain. Right? So, his reasons for coming, they're personal in a way, right? He's coming because his son, he wants his son to be healed. His son is close to death. But he isn't necessarily coming for his own kind of direct personal reasons. He just needs, he needs, he needs a, for lack of a better word, a magic trick, right? Right? And the term here, of course, it says, he went to him and begged him. Now, you've got to keep in mind, this is a royal official. This is somebody with status, right? So it's not like he's not risking something. There's some exposure here. He's going there, right? And he's begging Jesus to come. Please come, come. Got to heal my son, right? So all of us at one point or another are going to recognize that we get to a point where we just can't do it anymore. We can't take the next step. We can't, there's, there's something beyond our power. We're, we're, we're stuck. Whether it's something that's happening to us personally, whether it's something that's going on around us, we need help. And we recognize and we see that. And that right there is an important part and an early part of where true belief will begin to grow as we seek Him, right? And there can be all different reasons why we might seek Jesus out or we might seek something out. Sometimes we don't specifically seek Jesus out, right? But we'll, seek, we'll look for something because we know we can't, we can't do it on our own, right? I think of example... I think of my own life in this, right? I think of, I was fortunate to grow up as a, well, in a family where my parents were believers, and so from a young age, uh, we grew up, we would, we would go to church, we would, we would read uh, scripture together, we would have regular times of devotion together as a, as a family, and all of these really wonderful things, and for a, a period of time, my faith, my belief, rested on my parents' belief and faith. As I had seen what they would do, and as a child, you imitate that, you take that on, 
And so there's, there, there's a period of time where I would seek Jesus out, I would seek God out based off of my environment, based off of what my parents were doing, right? And then that kind of moved and shifted, and then I began to grapple with it myself, uh, with other Christian friends, as we would talk about different challenging things that we were either facing or theological challenges, whatever it is, and it starts to grow and it starts to change, and, and you start to seek Him out for different reasons. And then of course, as I got older and, uh, and, and got into college, and even more challenges kind of come your way, and more responsibility, and continually going back and seeking Jesus out. Sometimes with good reasons. Sometimes there might be something selfish at my center when I'm seeking him out because I want something specific, right? And you kind of wrestle and grapple all the way through that, right? And, uh, and if I'm perfectly honest, there were times when <laughs> it would be like Peter, when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, everybody's taken off. Are you guys going to take off too? And Peter says, we've got nowhere else to go. You're the only one that speaks truth to us. I can't always understand it, and man, do you say some things that I don't have a category for, but there's nowhere else to go. There are times like that that still will happen as I grapple with stuff that comes up in life, and I'm certain that's going on in your life as well. But here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is that God meets us where we are in the midst of that. No matter what those motivations might be, the motivations that we seek Him out, God meets us where we are. But He doesn't leave us there. Right? He begins to respond. He begins to move. And then as we continue to seek Him, things will begin to shift. So, let's, let's keep looking at our passage here, all right? So, we'll keep reading. Um, verse 48. So, we've got this royal official. He's come forward. He is begging Jesus for His Son. And then we get a challenging verse here, verse 48, where Jesus says this, "'Unless you people see signs and wonders,' Jesus told him, "'you will never believe.'" Ooh, it's a little uncomfortable, Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, many of us are used to kind of a Jesus that really has some killer phrases that go into a Hallmark card and make you feel great. And this guy is coming to Jesus, desperate, and then Jesus kind of challenges that a little bit. Challenges it, and he's not, I mean, he's speaking, of course, the royal official is there, but there, he's clearly talking to the Galileans that are there gathered around him. He, I'm, he's probably, I mean, Scripture doesn't say, but he's probably not the only one who's making requests. Jesus, I need a magic trick for this. Jesus, can I get a magic trick for that? Right? And so, Jesus looks out, and here's the thing. He knows their hearts, right? He knows our hearts. And so, he presents them with the right kind of challenge that won't leave them where they are, won't leave this man where he is, right? I was, when I, as I was wrestling with this verse, um, you know, it, it really centers around signs and wonders, right? 
There, there are so many incredible, miraculous things that Jesus does throughout the gospel accounts. Um, John talks about signs and wonders in a different way than the other gospel writers do. Um, and uh, and there, the, the last verse in this passage, we'll actually look to unpack that a little bit more, but what I want to say here is, is that John is, well, Jesus, through his words here, and John as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write this gospel, he is recognizing some of the dangers that come along with signs and wonders. And the danger is this, right? I mean, that magic trick, I mean, that's amazing. You just get caught staring at that trick. It's like somebody would come up to, uh, for, you know, someone will come up to a, a, a beautiful home and it's got this ornate gate in front of it and they spend their entire time just staring at the ornate gate. Can you believe this gate? Look at this gate. This gate's amazing. Wow, look at how they did the details on this gate. And further on, there's a whole home <laughs> that gets lost because of a short-sightedness that's happening there, because of a fixation that begins to happen on this sign and this wonder. I mean, in a way, it's almost like if you think of, a, of, of what a magician looks to do, right? Sleight of hand, they're trying to keep your attention in one place so that you don't see them doing something and having their magic trick or their illusion or whatever it is, right? This is the, the, the flip of that where we're, or the danger can be that we get stuck staring at the sign and the wonder and don't get pointed further on into who has the power and authority to accomplish that sign and wonder, okay? So there are these, well, I'm sure you've heard of... Uh, Adrenaline junkies, right? An adrenaline junkie is somebody who is a thrill seeker. They have gotten a taste of some type of extreme sport, and they absolutely love it, uh, whether that's jumping out of an airplane, you know, big, big wave surfing, bungee jumping, hang gliding. I mean, there's all sorts of really awesome, great stuff. None of that is bad, right? None of, enjoy that. A danger, though, can begin to happen when somebody begins to get so fixated on those experiences that everything else in the rest of their life tastes like vanilla and they're always seeking out that thrill, right? I think there can also be a danger within our churches and for us if we're what I would call becoming a wonder junkies in a way. We need that sign. We need that, we need that injection of, of, you know, something to kind of just keep, keep, the, keep, keep the high rolling, keep things going up, 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 right? And we might hit a hard time, and we don't feel that, and then we feel like, oh, everything's just falling apart, right? Because those incredibly gracious moments where, yes, we do experience them by God's grace, but they are not the norm. I would say that they're, you know, on the, on the food pyramid of faith, right? They're, they're, they're the candy, they're the dessert that happens every once in a while, but they're not going to sustain us. You know, I can't, I can't live on raisinets alone. As much as I might try, some of you might be like, disgusting. Did he just say raisinets? Yes, I did. Delicious. Try them in your popcorn. Mind blown. I'll leave it at that. 
Okay, so, um, but, you know, those specific um, things that we chase after like that, what, what ends up happening is it puts our appetites and our desires at the center of that, and we only get filled up when we get what we need, when we get that jolt, right? But that's what John is pointing to, saying, no, look, look past that. We'll, we'll, we'll get a chance as we continue to dig, on, dig into this. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get a chance to see how Jesus reacts with that and, and, and engages with that in other passages. But for right now, um, we've got that. And then um, let's see how our royal official responds here, right? So in verse 49, Jesus is just kind of laid this out there, laid this challenge out there, and, uh, and he responds and says this. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. So, the royal official hears this word back, but he presses in. And actually, in, in the in the Greek here, that word child he uses, you, of course, he saw earlier, he says, he, he says the word son. The word child now has much more of like a term of endearment. It's like saying, my baby, my, my young child is dying. I hear what you're saying, but my young child is dying. Please come. He continues to seek God out. And the wonderful thing for this royal official is that he has Jesus there that he can talk to, and Jesus speaks directly to him. So an important part of that true belief is being able to hear him. Now, we don't have Jesus physically walking amongst us to be able to talk to, but we do have, of course, his word that we can study and pour over. We have times of prayer where we listen and bring our own selves before God for Him to be able to speak to us and make space for that. We have each other. We have the church family. Like, my my role here at the church is the director of community life. So any chance I get to say, hey, connect with each other, (laughs) because that is one of the ways that Jesus speaks to us is through the body of Christ that we are connected with. There are lots of opportunities for you to get connected in different ways here at Eastridge. If you feel that you are alone, isolated, do not have those connections, please don't let that feeling stay there. Don't quench it. Reach out to me, reach out to us. someone on staff here, reach out to other believers that are around you to start to get connected. We have lots of different groups that are available here, men's, women's, life groups. We've got one-on-one discipleship that is available uh, for for people to connect with with other believers, Um, and there are pathways for that at the church, okay? So I just want to highlight that because that, that is another important way that I think we often neglect. Um, And, uh, and, Primarily, though, of course, we use God's Word, right? 
And as we soak ourselves in his word, as, our commu- as a community, as we soak ourselves in, in his word, we're able to speak gospel truth to each other during those challenging times. But right there at the center of it, right, that we, that we hear him, right? Let's continue looking on here. Let's see how our, our royal official respond, responds. Verse, end of verse 50 says this, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Jesus presents him with this stiff test, right? Because the royal official has something specific in mind. I need Jesus to come with me. I know how this is going to work. He needs to be there. I got to bring him. He's got his expectations, right? And Jesus sees him, responds. And the stiff test is this. He does, Jesus says, I'm not going to go with you, right? But you can go. Your son will live. He takes Jesus at his word. That true belief begins to blossom there because he takes him at his word. Right? He has nothing else to work off of at that point. But he begins to pack up his things, get ready to go, head out on the road. And I just love that there's this picture of this, 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 this picture of grace here where we've get, where we've get um, his servants that are coming from his house, as he's walking down back home, I'm sure he's kind of processing through his conversation with Jesus. He's thinking, okay, uh, yep, he, got, Jesus told me that my son's going to live, so I'm heading back there, and, uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm believing, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that to be true. But then half, he makes it, he's making it halfway there, he's got people that are coming from his house to then confirm that, and together, he's got a, a kind of a joyful, like, celebration, right? And, and then through that further conversation, well, when did it happen? Oh, my God, that was right when I was talking with Jesus. Ah! You know, and they're just, like, blowing each other's minds, right? And so, but we've got, this, we've got this coming together, right? And in a similar way, right, we kind of model that here in the church. We don't have people that are necessarily, you know, coming back, telling us, hey, this is what the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like. This is, what, this is what our new bodies are going to be like. We have Scripture that does that. We have the book of Revelation. We have other beautiful promises and confirmations that are there. We have the experiences of those that are in our church family to, to encourage us and challenge us in the midst of that. And so you've got this beautiful picture there of the celebration that happens, right? Because this man took him at his word. And went out. Yeah? And uh, I think one of the things that is easy to miss, because we've been talking about, um, you know, taking Jesus at his word, is, uh, is that, or I mean, we've been talking about true belief, right? But then you got to take the next step. What exactly was the shift here? Why is it that he now believes? right? And it's this right here. Because he went to Jesus, and Jesus 
was able to give life. Right? He recognizes Jesus in a different way. This is somebody that gives life. And something that can be easy to miss is that Jesus didn't just give life to that boy, that son. He gave life to everyone in that household as they all believed in him. A life that would go on and is an eternal life that we now, that we now understand, right? Because we have more of Scripture. And so that life, you know, what, what gives Jesus the authority and the power to give life? This man can't explain it at the time. We're able to explain it now because we know that Jesus, on his death on the cross, I'm sure Satan was thinking, yep, we got him. This is it. We did it. But what does Jesus do? Kicks in death's door, grabs his keys, you won't be needing these anymore, and walks out of his own tomb. Jesus can give life because he conquered death. So if you are new to our church and you... Or, 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 yeah, or, or, or you're exploring what Christianity is, and you're looking for real life. And if you're looking at Jesus, then you're looking at the right place. He's the only one that can do it. Let's take a look at our, our last verse here. Um, it says this. Now this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So why does, why does John have this in here? Well, we touched on that a little bit. John has, throughout his gospel, unlike the other gospels, John only highlights seven specific signs or miracles that happen. And each one of them is there with a specific purpose to show us the authority and the power that Jesus has. Right? And he's wanting to make sure we don't get too caught up looking at the trick, looking at the sign, but look beyond that. Look past that to the one that has the authority to do that. So, I'll ask again, how does true belief in Jesus grow? Well, we seek him, we hear him, and we take him at his word. One of the important things that I want to make sure to highlight in this is that all of these are responses. Because God is the one that is initiating. Even that first one, we might think, well, hold on a minute, I'm, but I'm the one that's seeking. Oh, I can tell you, I can guarantee you that there's something that's happened in your life that has gotten you to that point. Whether you want to acknowledge that it was him or not. Right? We seek him, we hear him, and then we take him at his word. One of the uh, challenges 
And I, please hear me when I share this, because this is a challenge for me as well, as I was looking at this passage, was wrestling with this question of, do I take Jesus at his word? Do you take Jesus at his word? If you know Scripture, if you know the Gospels, Jesus says some incredible things. And in closing, I just want to read some of those things that Jesus says, and I want, to, I want you to be asking yourselves, do I take him at his word? Let's look at some of these together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And finally, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. This, these are words from Jesus. Do you take him at his word? Do I take him at his word? Honestly, more often than not, there are many times when I feel like the uh, father of that uh, demon-possessed boy that they talk about in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus tells him, anything is possible for the one who believes. And he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. You're caught in this spot where you, where you believe, but you need help with your unbelief because they're kind of swirling together. And it just, it's... But remember, God meets you where you are. Paul, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, unpacks this mystery a little bit more, where he says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do we have a responsibility? Yes, we need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. But who gets the credit? Where does this drive come from? This drive, this, it says right here, to will and to act comes from God. That mysterious connection there. Yes, we have a responsibility but God is the one driving us to act and to will and to grapple with him. 
and we cry out to you, Father. We believe. Help our unbelief. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for how loving and merciful and gracious you are to us. I'm so thankful, Father, that you desire a relationship with us and that you have shown us through your Son how it's possible and that it's possible. And Father, I'm just so thankful that you meet us where we are and that you don't leave us there the right challenges at the right time, the right word at the right time, the right people at the right time. And Father, help us to be a people that is rooted deeply in your word and rooted deeply with each other so that when those storms come, we can withstand them. Father, we love you. And all of this is only possible because of your son, Jesus. Thank you that we have him as a flesh and blood example that we can learn from and that, as he said to us, that he's with us here and now. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. All right, and as we continue to worship together, uh, this is also a time of offering, uh, which is something that we believe as a church is an important part of how we worship. So if you're a part of our regular church family, uh, we encourage you to do that now if you'd like to. Um, and uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. Let's continue to worship. I want to invite you to 